we are live calling from uh have we said where we're from yet reno, i think so nevada. i think they know reno nevada and you're from somewhere else you can't say where i'm at because i'm special we said the state though yeah no georgia georgia georgia. <laughs> georgia 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 i had to request my high school transcripts from oregon and i called and she was like well you certainly have the southern accent and i was like what no i don't what are you talking about i don't detect any sort of accent it's like you certainly have that georgia accent and i was like no no i really don't no ma'am no no i don't stop stop putting things in my head you got an accent, I got an accent, and I live in Reno, Nevada, and I haven't lived in the South since I was six, which is over 20 years ago, so. I don't think, I think she was just crazy. I was like, okay, lady. <laughs> so, after many, many technical difficulties, we are recording, and things are going well, it looks like. Yeah, it's been a long night so far, but uh, we're getting through it. We're working on our lives. <laughs> you see my sharp son? I do, I do. He's just watching, judging. The video idea where we can watch each other, and I don't think we've done it before where we can actually see each other, but I can see all our cats in the background. It's perfect. Well, I mean, you can't really see my mouth over the giant uh, pop filter I have. It's not about you. Oh, it's about my cats. Yeah. Okay. Well, fine. This is the first story of Death by Cat. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so how have you been... Uh, I've been good. School started. I'm taking a writing about literature class and like the third Spanish class in a four sequence. And I don't know Spanish and I'm really scared about how this class is going to go because it's been over a year since I've taken a Spanish class. Uh, I'm but, just listening to you talk about I it. I know. So good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I can't stop looking at my chipmunk. Chipmunk Stop cheeks looking in the camera. at yourself. I can't. Look I don't want to look at you. No. Look at me. Look I'm at me. I'm not gonna. You, you can't make me. Fine. I might see a dummy in the background at one point, and I'm not looking forward to that point. <laughs> Got him. He's not even here to defend himself. Boo. I like his keyboard. I can see it in the background. Are you still liking your keyboard? Yes. Very oh, good. nice. Good. I used the candle maker you got me for Christmas. Yeah, it looked like you were making some wax melts, too. Yeah, there was extra. So, I don't really get it. <laughs> they gave you pre-measured things of wax. And they gave you candle tins. But the wax they gave you was more than could fit in the candle tin. <laughs> so just, just in case you messed it up. <laughs> I guess. In case your hand shakes when you're pouring in and it goes everywhere. But uh, I figured it out. I was like, I have these jello molds, but they're silicon and they'll work for candle wax melts. So I just, and they're super cute. They're smileys. I know. It's wonderful. You gotta send me some. I might, if you're lucky. So have you been? How's school? Um, Gross. Well, <laughs> what was it the other day? You said you were going to take psych next semester, psych 101. And I'm yeah. taking it this semester so i'm before her which means i can psychoanalyze her without her knowing <laughs> or Look, all you do is learn about pavlov pavlov yeah we just covered that actually i don't i don't know what his name is i just remember him and his dogs that's exactly what it is yeah that's all you need to know <laughs> okay well 
I'm glad we're both doing well. It's stressing me out that I can't see how long we've been recording. <laughs> I don't know why. We um we tried recording this earlier and our audio pooped out on us. And it's really unfortunate you guys are missing out because we said the funniest shit and I'll never know. Well, I mean, if they've listened to us before, they know that we didn't say the funniest shit. Yeah, we are. Izzy, stop it. We are comedic geniuses. We only think we're the only two people on this planet that think we're funny. Well, (laughs) dad might think we're funny. (laughs) We're the ones that's listened to this podcast 800 times. (laughs) No, it's just dad. It's dad on repeat. He's listened to it 800 times. Thanks, dad. Thank you, dad. (laughs) He's our biggest fan. That makes me happy. Except for he didn't want to be on the podcast he just wanted to see how we did it that's fine we're also doing this pro bono for you guys now so you're welcome ad free ad free well for now uh unless we get a sponsor we are thinking about moving this might be too in-depth for everyone and i'm sorry we're thinking about moving our hosting site to help with potentially getting sponsors but we need to talk more about that anyway uh i think we should move on to what we're all here for Murder. Jackie, murder. it's murder. That's what we're murder. here for. Specifically unsolved murders. And I'd like to point out before we get started, if you have a suggestion or a comment, or you just like to tell us that we are, in fact, not funny, please send us an email to ucsfpodcast at gmail.com. We also have stickers. We do have stickers. If you interested. If you'd like when they've got our little trench coat uh, logo on them. Thank so you to... Cute. My friend Milk yes, at Milky Milk. Myth on Twitter. Thank you, Milk. And our theme music is by Snortrax on Twitter at Snortrax. And she, they're really talented. So do you have a story for me, Jackie? I have a murder. Ooh. Okay. Put is your seatbelts no. on for this one, you guys. Um, All right. I find this Buckle one to in. be really interesting. And I know I've done very recent ones before. If you guys remember, I did... Suzanne Morphew. You guys remember mm-hmm. her? She was the one who's who went missing on the jogging trail, and they uh, oh yeah, her found husband, her uh, bike and not her yeah. body. And her husband confronted people searching for her That's with right. the shotgun on his property. With all the whole thing was very weird. Um, yes, but I have another recent one for you. So. If you guys want more information on this one, you can't find it on Wikipedia yet. And actually, I'm not really sure how I found this one. But, um, okay. You guys are going to hate me for this. But before we get into the murder, Izzy, do you remember reading that link I sent you the other day about the car in Washington that police found with like... With body parts? Yes. With body parts in it. Did you read that story? Uh... I, I read that they found him and he had body parts. Isn't he, like, didn't he murder his wife or girlfriend? Yeah, so what happened was the police saw this, like, a car abandoned on the side of the road. They stopped as they do to check and make sure nothing crazy was going on. And the police not, officer gets not, out of the car, not. sees blood on the hood, looks a little bit closer, and sees somebody's head in the back seat. And they opened the trunk and they found... M- multiple persons bodies cut up multiple oh yeah two and they found this guy just walking away from this just walking you know nonchalantly away from this 
body cart body parts car <laughs> so they arrest him i don't think anything else has come out from that yet as an update maybe by the time this comes out there will be and you guys can look it up how convenient that they got it got and, their right as he right, abandoned in the car right just happened could you imagine like not knowing and then this could be like an unsolved mystery thankfully thankfully i guess they got this guy in an interview room and he told all the deets and he was just like yeah i went to my girlfriend's house and i stabbed her a bunch of times and then i decided to miss dismember her in the garage but then her roommate came home her roommate didn't do anything wrong or oh, I'm no. sure the girlfriend also didn't, but the roommate literally just walked in and he decided to her home. into her home. And the guy was like, I'm going to stab and dismember you too. And she was also oh, in the car. Oh, welcome home. Have you met my friend Stabby? It's just really, really sad. That is so sad. Like, I'm sure, like, even if the girlfriend did something wrong, that's not an excuse for someone to go off the rails and murder and dab and dismember you. Absolutely not. And they say like, with like crazy and people. wrong, like, like, what's the worst thing she did? Cheat on him? Or break Sounds up like he's with a, him? That break up a with lot him? Of like, controlling people off is just the breakup alone, which, oh my God, I don't know. I mean, you should be able, to, clearly, she made the right choice by breaking up with him. Right? Clearly, he's unstable. He was not good for her and this is what happened um it's just sad okay so for the update okay. on suzanne morphew <laughs> there is no update on suzanne morphew i was just saying that the one i'm doing now is also a very recent one so there might not be as many details i promise if you do a google search on these articles that i'm going to discuss it's going to be all the same information I'm doing now. Maybe, hopefully, in a couple months, there will be an update. But judging by how the sort of Suzanne Morphew case is going, I wouldn't cross my fingers, unfortunately. But let's get into it. So, on December 30th, someone, a person who has not been named in any of these reports because... They're not sure whether or not she is a part of this. Rented a car. Later, she allows Tiffany Church, 35, and her boyfriend, Trudarius Rainey, 26, to take the car and to drive it around. All right. If you rent a car, don't ever let anybody else use it. Yeah, I think that's not something you're really supposed to do if you rent a car. But, I mean, if it happens, whatever, right? Unless they get murdered and then the police are knocking at your door saying, so, uh, tell me about <laughs> this car with your name on it. And Yeah. Also, this one has a car in it, so that Washington case wasn't completely out of nowhere. <laughs> Look, full circle, Things guys. Things have a car in it. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Moving on. On December 31st, on December 31st, they were reported as missing because they hadn't contacted anybody and they hadn't been seen since the 30th, 30th, which actually good on whoever reported them missing because a day, a police can work with a day, but a lot of times people are like, yeah, we're not sure if they just took a trip or something last minute, so we didn't report them missing for like two weeks. And then it's like, what's the police going to do with that? But they were reported. Really, if someone's going on a trip, they're typically talking to their loved ones and friends about it. Like, no one really spontaneously is like, 
I'm going to go out of town and not tell anybody. <laughs> right. But it, but it happens. People, people find the weirdest ways to like just be like they're fine, they're fine. And if it's because they're close and they're just they don't want to think about what the what if, you know. So they tell themselves they're fine, whatever, something happens. But in this case, they caught on really early, so good on whoever reported them missing. So it's the next day, it's December 31st, the day they were reported missing. They find the rental car in, oh, did I ever say where this was? Okay, so this is in Florida. Is anyone shocked? The rental car was found in Sanford in Florida. So I think they're also missing from Sanford. Where is Sanford? Yeah, they were last seen at a gas station in Sanford. It's in Florida? Yeah, but what part of Florida? Look, I'm not good at geography. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I could tell you where Florida is if you're curious. Uh, I think New England. Is that correct? Wrong. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> the car was found in Sanford, but it had a bullet hole in it, which is That's a little That's not weird normal. Because it was Especially a 2021 rental car so brand new should definitely not have a bullet hole in it and mm -hmm. neither tiffany church or tradarius rainey were in the car interesting Spooky. interesting okay so we're gonna fast forward a little bit it's january 2nd two days after they're reported missing and three days after they were last seen a man is walking his dog at a local park in Sanford, Florida, and they discovered Tradarius Rainey's body. In a park? In a park, which authorities believe was dumped there. Okay, I've been to Florida. There's a lot of places to hide a body that's not in a park, so I kind of feel like this is, like, intentionally wanting them to be found. Maybe, but I looked at a picture where the body was found in the general area. They didn't actually show a picture of the crime scene as cool that, as that would be. Obviously not with the body in it, but it was um, very swampy, which I would imagine most parks in Florida are <laughs> because it's Florida. But there was like yeah. Spanish moss everywhere and it was really overgrown. Uh, so I think it was a part of the park that was like didn't have so a it's walking, not like chair, a walking trails. Manip and Manipsual? Municipal? Municipal. There we go. Municipal uh, parks We're really like taken in. care of by the city. It's probably like a a, a nature park. Something like I that. think so. I think I think something like that. So when they when the police find Rainy's body, they pedal to pedal to the metal. Right, that's what it is. Pedal to the metal. Do an all hand search of Tiffany because she was the other person in the car. They used a dive team to search waterways. They had the helicopters going, the canine units, volunteer search and rescue teams everywhere. And a couple days later, they find her body on the side of a railroad. Yeah, Maybe it wasn't a used railroad because I definitely feel like that would have been found. Not on the tracks, but like off of the railroad. Okay. So also in her case, it looks like she her body was dumped there. And it didn't look like they were killed there. So they find that Travis had been shot multiple times and Tiffany was only shot one time. Right now, the cops don't know if they were shot at the same time or in different locations or where they were shot or anything. Or they're not saying they know where it is, which is something the police will do. They'll hide information from the public to see who has more knowledge than was released to verify their stories. 
which is very important. Also, I'm basically an expert. I've been watching like three seasons of the first 48. Ask me. Oh, yeah. That definitely makes me an expert. (laughs) It is. I'm going to get my certificate in the mail any day now. Okay. So the police right now think the people who killed them were known to the victims and they're saying right now that they're honing in on the persons of interest. They think they know... Isn't that... I'm sorry. Isn't that scary that you are far more likely to be murdered by somebody that you know? Yeah. Like, to me, that just freaks me out. Like, there's somebody in all... Not all, but most of the vic- murder victims' lives that would do something like this to them. And it's it could be, like, a friend. It could be a weird... Tra- like, a weird acquaintance sure but it could also be a parent it could be a sibling it could be a cousin it it just really goes to show that a spouse yeah which is also scary like you pick this person to live with because you love them and you want to be a person to kill you like by far is a spouse (laughs) all right if you die i'm reporting dosh like instantly just so you know well like this is they're gonna look at him anyway but yeah uh ryan if you're listening i'm on to you But I picked this case because at first it doesn't seem that weird. You have all of these little facts about the different things that went on and happened. But let's think about this for a minute, right? So just away from the facts. And I didn't really get this at the time. But they're in a rental car, right? Right. Something happens in the rental car. They find a bullet hole in it. And when the police search the car... They found a gun. So So, it may have been the gun that killed them. It may have been their gun in the car while they were driving around, like a concealed carry or something. We don't know yet. But it looks like, just from these facts, obviously I'm not an expert. What? I thought you were. I thought you just said you were waiting for your certificate. They're in the gas station. And they leave the gas station, obviously, after getting gas. And then... Maybe they pick somebody up or they stop at a friend's house or somebody they know. And then that person has to get into the car, right? Because the car wasn't found at a friend's house. It was found in a parking garage. And the bodies were found in different spots. So either somebody in a different car drives up to them in a parking garage where they're minding their own business shoots the guy multiple times, which means this killing was probably targeted at him and her once, and then loads their bodies into his car, minus the gun, which they forgot for some reason, probably didn't think about that, drove their bodies to the different locations, and then drove away. But the other thing that might have happened, on the flip side which I think is a little bit more likely. They go to that friend's house, the other person's house, that other location we don't have yet. The shootout happens on or near the car. I think there's got to be a bunch of blood evidence in that car because the car wasn't found at the crime scene, which means they took their bodies, probably probably put them in that car, drove it, where they dump the bodies and then park the car in the parking garages which would mean that it's i would think that yeah it's probably somebody they know at that point and it's weird that it's a rental car like it's not a car they own it's not something that can really be traced to anybody besides the person that took out the car or um rented the car excuse me 
how crazy is that? You just, you're in a rental car getting gas and then your life's over? Whether or not the person actually used that car to transport the bodies, the guy had to be in the car to drop it off at the different spot. So hopefully they find some fingerprints or something in this case is close soon. I mean, they have the gun, so there's that. But this one was crazy to me because how does that happen? It's insane. It's weird to think that like you can be doing something so trivial as getting gas or going to a store or parking your car in a parking garage. But I think it's so crazy. I mean, to have the balls (laughs) because I mean, a parking garage is in the middle of the city. So you're probably not getting in a shootout in a parking garage, but to take the car from the crime scene and then drive it to a parking garage, which probably has cameras and shit. And to get out and just leave the car with a gun in it, like, what? Is that not crazy to anyone else? It sounds like somebody that's a professional. Probably not, I would say. I think when they found the guns, the police were like, all right. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay, so let me tell you my um, sources real quick. The first one I got was an article called The Florida Man Girlfriend Who Vanished on New Year's Eve Found Dead by Dorian Giger on Oxygen. And then the other one was actually on 10 News in an article called... It was actually People Magazine that picked this one up because it's such a crazy story. People are talking about it. Called Missing Florida Mom is Found Dead, Five Miles from Where a Body of Boyfriend Was Found Just Days Ago by Casey Baker. That's a good story. I didn't hear anything about that, so I'm glad you covered it. Yeah, I mean, this is one I'm going to like put on my dashboard to keep looking for updates on because... It's wild. It sounds wild. Okay. Are you ready to hear another one that is also pretty wild? All right. Thank you for your story. And I would like to tell you what now. This okay. is the... <laughs> I <laughs> guess. <is> the... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We have to time this. Start talking now. Okay. Well, this is the LaSalle Street. Ha! Got him. Okay. Go ahead. Jackie, I swear to God, (laughs) shut up and let me tell my story. (laughs) Uh, So this is the LaSalle Street murders. I am a fan of, I guess, older murders because to me, I'm just really fascinated by how technology changes and how we can go back and catch people, hopefully, that have committed murders in the past because they didn't know, like, their DNA would be a thing or anything like that. So... Three businessmen were discovered murdered on Decembered. Uh, Decembered. <laughs> I quit. No, you can't. Tell me the story. I'm invested now. Okay. Three businessmen were discovered murdered on December 1st, 1971 in a house at 1318 LaSalle Street in Indianapolis. The bodies were discovered by 29-year-old John Carnes, who was a business acquaintance of the two victims, Henson and Gears. He became concerned after the men did not show up for work at their own microfilm company that morning, and he was unable to reach them at work or home. He found the door ajar and described what he saw to police as, quote, inhuman, unquote. I feel like this is going to be a bad one. I'm getting those vibes. Are there good ones? Not yet. (laughs) The victims had their hands and feet bound and their throats had been slit. The Marion County coroner believed that victims had been held by their hair to extend their necks and then cut from ear to ear with a long-bladed instrument. Excuse me? What? Yep. And they were tied up at this point? Oh, yeah. Wow. They were tied up and then they slit their throats. He stated that the death 
was almost instant, which I guess is a good thing. Like, I guess if I'm going to get murdered, I would rather it be almost instant than... Okay, so the death was instant. Almost. But how long was the before the death? (laughs) We will never know. So the victims were Robert Henson, who was 30. He was found on his stomach in the front bedroom with his two hands bound beneath him. James C. Barker, who was 27. He was found on his back in the bathroom between the two bedrooms. And Robert Gierce, 34, who was lying on his back in the rear bedroom. The killer left behind a bloody boot print at the scene. There was little other evidence. So there wasn't really anything else besides the bloody footprint. Their secretary, Louise Cole, saw the men the previous evening and stated that the men worked late that night on an important project. She stated that she had left them in the office around 5.15 p.m. Henson and Gears's former employer, Theodore Uland, stated that he had spoken with the men about 9.30 p.m. that e- evening. 9.30 p.m. that evening. A woman that was seeing Hinton told police that she stopped by the house to visit him around 1 a.m., but that no one answered the door. This left a window between 9.30 p.m. and 1 a.m. for the murders to be committed. Also, I think it's kind of bold that you just show up to someone's house at 1 in the morning, so maybe that was kind of a common occurrence. But, I mean, how did they know that both of them were there? Because I'm assuming they had uh, Well, they lived together. Houses. Oh. No, well, they lived together. Um, but I think James C. Barker did not live there. So the police believed that, quote, it took more than one person to do this. These were large men and they weren't old, unquote. The first theory that developed during the investigation was that Gerson Henson's old boss, Uland, had hired some people to kill the men as Uland had a solid alibi that placed him in southern Indiana. They worked for Uland at his company called Record Security. Gerson Henson were friends who had quit the previous job working for Uland together in order to start their own microfilming business called B&B Microfilm Service. It was rumored that the pair had taken some of Uland's clients, equipment, and money. Uland had also taken out $150,000 life insurance policies on the men and became the prime suspect during the initial investigations. But unfortunately, he did have that solid out. So he has... How is that even legal? You have a life insurance policy on somebody you're not even, like, in any way, shape, or form related to or, like... Uh, I wonder if he took it out while he was still their employer. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like... It was the 70s. I hear that time was wild. You can just do whatever you want, I guess. Well, I mean, you used to be able to purchase life insurance in the vending machine at airports, so... That's true. So I think that maybe the rules were a little more lax before people started taking, like, huge amounts of advantage of them. If you know the answer, please email us at ucsfpodcast at gmail.com and let us know the answer. So, former Indianapolis Police Department Captain Robert Snow was in charge of the homicide unit in in the late 1990s. He published a book in 2012 called Slaughter on North LaSalle that concluded that the police were right from the beginning and Uland had hired someone to kill the men. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So the lead detective that wasn't actually able to solve the case wrote a book talking about how the police were right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to have evidence. (laughs) I mean... It's, it's like, it's, okay, this so point. this guy's like, this guy 
is salty and retires and is like, I was right all along. <laughs> I mean, I think he was right, but we'll get into that in a little bit. I just think it's funny. Like, when I retire, I'm going to talk shit about all my coworkers. I was like, fuck yeah. I was in right. A book, write a tell all. <laughs> <laughs> you guys thought I was wrong, but I was right the whole time. Where's Here's your evidence? Why. I don't need evidence. <laughs> it's a hunch. In 2001, police received a letter written by a man named Fred Harbison, who had worked for Ed Uland as well. Harbison had died a few years prior to the letter being received by police and had left it in a safe deposit box, and it went unopened for a few years until it was handed over to police. The letter states that Uland had hired Harbison to kill the men, but never paid him. Harbison couldn't go to the police or sue for the money, and he was afraid of Ulan, so this information wasn't given to police until Harbison died. The letter read, and I quote, These two men I killed in their beds by cutting their throats, and another guy who wasn't supposed to be there, but I had to kill him too because he showed up. Ted was supposed to pay me when he got the insurance money, but he kept putting me off because he said that he had lost the money, but he said he would pay me as soon as he could. Yep, I just, I actually... Whenever people come to me for me to repay money, I borrow too. I always just happen to lose it right then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, you like, know, I would love something. to give this to you. I would love to give you the money I owe you, but I left my pockets at home. <laughs> All of them. I don't have the cash on me and the bank is closed. It's, it's noon on a Tuesday. It's closed. <laughs> and to continue on with the quote. It says, the paper said that a yellow Oldsmobile was seen at the place where I killed them, but it was really my yellow Limith Roadrunner. I buried my boots because the tracks they found them because I knew they could match up the prints on my boots, unquote. So this man, just to reiterate, Fred Harbison wrote a letter because he couldn't go to the police because he would get in trouble for committing the murders. And he couldn't sue Theodore Uland, who paid him off to commit the murders, to get his money. So he was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. So he wrote this letter, put it in a safety deposit box with instructions that, when I die, send this to police. You know, you probably should have just put the shoes in there at that point. I instead mean, of destroying them. Yeah, but he was afraid he was going to get in trouble. Yeah, I mean, as he should have been, he murdered three people. I have no sympathy for him. Zero. I'm sorry you yeah, didn't get paid. Poor guy. Yeah, unfortunately, because both Fred Harbison and Theodore Uland have died, they are unable to be prosecuted for the murders. So we just have this guy's letter to say that they did it. And the evidence that Theodore Uland took out the life insurance policy and that these guys left his firm with some clients money and equipment which is motive for sure but that doesn't mean that we have the evidence to prove it there is another theory though and the theory is that men were, the men were killed because one of them was involved with the ex-wife of a man named carol horton the ex-wife of carol horton was named diane and she was pictured crying outside the house of the men um that where they were murdered by an area newspaper an unnamed acquaintance told Indianapolis Star that the three men were involved in a competition over a lover, which strengthened the theory that a jealous husband or lover was behind the murders. There's also a rumored 
competition between the men to see who could sleep with the most women each month. They kept tallies. In the mid-90s, a freelance journalist named Carol Schultz launched her own investigation into the case. She befriended Carol Horton, but worked with police detective John W. Layton to build a case against him. It is important to note at this point that Carol Schultz was not an investigative journalist, but mostly wrote home and garden articles. Yeah. I'm sorry, so what are her qualifications again? Can anybody just um, be an investigative journalist? I guess. I mean, I don't know what her qualifications were, but she had never written anything like this before. So I'll get into why that's important here in a little bit. But she did have a writing job that granted her permission because she asked to do a story on the slangs on the anniversary of them. But she took that way too far. Rather than reporting on the story, she took matters into her own hands and tried to solve the case herself. But as she was inexperienced, she did not found her case on evidence, but rather found a plausible theory and collected evidence to support the theory and discarded evidence that didn't fit, which we've seen in many of these unsolved cases. Carol Schultz let her own feelings about the case take over and did not investigate any other leads from what I was able to find. She did not follow any sort of procedure and, quote, trampled the rules of ethics and evidence, unquote. In March of 1996, Carol Horton, who was 70 at this point, was indicted for the murders and spent a month in jail. Layton testified in court that he had instructed Schultz to tell Horton that his fingerprints had been found at the crime scene, which was untrue. Schultz also testified that she had been investigating the case since 1992, had negotiated a book and movie deal, and had been offered a million dollars for her story. Her book, The LaSalle Street Murders, points to Horton as the killer. Surprise, surprise. Imagine that. So she testified on the stand during his trial that she she had negotiated a book and movie deal and had been offered a million dollars for her story. Not a good look. For making shit up is what it sounds like at this point. Yeah, because literally there's less evidence for this theory than there was the theory before this. So Michael Lee Chastain, Chastain, I don't know how to pronounce it, Michael Lee Chastain, who is in prison serving two life sentences at this point in time for murdering a man in Jacksonville, Florida in 1981, implicated himself and Horton in a confession. This confession was recanted several times. Chastain was charged with the murder of Hinston, while Horton was charged with all three murders. Chastain admitted that he wanted to get out of his prison sentence. He testified that President Richard Nixon had plotted the murders, which were carried out by vanished labor leader Jimmy Hoffa. I fucking knew it. It's it's freaking Nixon. I knew it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> the judge on this case ruled, quote, the investigation was compromised by the meddling of Carol Schultz, who is a very biased former investigative reporter, unquote. The Marion County prosecutor dismissed the case as it was, quote, literally impossible to prosecute, unquote. Charges against both Chastain and Horton were dropped. Carol Schultz still believes she is correct about the killer's identities and is quoted as saying, Chastain lied about some things, but I always knew when he was lying. I could tell by the change in his voice, unquote. Oh, so she's a mind reader now, too. That's amazing. That's amazing. She should write a book about that. I want to learn. These are all of our opinions. Uh, this is just what we were. I was able to find on the following sources. IndieStar.com had an article titled The Infamous 1971 LaSalle Street Murders Remain Unsolved by Diana Penner, Don Mitchell, and Kathy Knapp. 
And also on IndieStar.com, Indiana Unsolved, 1971 LaSalle Street Murders and Mystery by the same authors. Also on ClermontSun.com, The Unsolved LaSalle Street Murders by Mark Hoover. And on IndianapolisMonthly.com, Murder, She Wrote, The LaSalle Street Murders by Brian D. Smith and Betty Cadu. That's a really clever title. (laughs) These obviously are just our opinions. You can make of Carol Schultz and her story what you will. But these are direct quotes from the judge and the prosecutor on the case who share these opinions. And that is the story of the LaSalle Street murders. My opinion is I think if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. So I think it was Theodore Uhland who had hired a man to kill these men. I mean, you've got the life insurance policy. You've got the very impersonal and almost professional type slangs there was no evidence left at the scene um well the problem these people run into with the life insurance policies is eventually they're going to realize that there's still a life insurance policy on them and they lapse so if it's getting close to the point where it's going to lapse i'm assuming i've never been in this situation there's probably a lot of pressure because somebody's like if they don't die in the next month i'm going to lose five million dollars yeah. On top well, of that, they think that these guys, like, stole all of, uh, not all of, but probably a lot of his clients and all this other shit. I mean, probably not a great combination. Not a good look. Uh, and I believe that he had recently taken out the life insurance policies. Like, after they left, I think that he plotted and conspired and had these men murdered. But as he is dead, we will never know for sure. So this case is unsolved. And um, I don't think there's really any hope of definitively knowing for sure. But I don't give any thought to the second theory that we discussed. I don't think Richard Nixon plotted to have these men murdered. As amazing as that would be, (laughs) I would read about that case like, Forget Watergate. <laughs> anyway, and that is all I have. So if you would like to um, listen to any of our episodes, please find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Speaking of Apple Podcasts, if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review. I know that a lot of people say that, but it really does help us out. If you have any sort of suggestions, comments, questions, or if you'd like a sticker, please email me at ucsfpodcast at gmail.com. Jackie, I'm not mailing you one until I get that email. <laughs> and we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ucsfpodcast. I guess the takeaway from the story is um, if you get a life insurance policy on someone, you're instantly suspicious as fuck. That's true. I mean, what did you say earlier? Not a good look. <laughs> not a good look. It's not a good look. <laughs> nope. Uh, goodbye. Bye.